Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Where is God in a world of so much pain? Have you ever wondered this question? It's one that a lot of people ask, even if they only feel the emotion of the question under the surface and they never ask it explicitly. Uh, the question of theodicy, how, of how an all-powerful, all-loving God can permit evil, is one that theologians and, in fact, all kinds of people often struggle with. Now, from a Christian perspective, the question looks like, if Jesus is Lord sitting on the throne, why does he allow such evil and opposition to his rule? A lot of people get nervous when they hear these sorts of questions. Uh, Perhaps they feel like Christians just don't have anything to say. Now, to be honest, I also get a bit nervous when I hear these sorts of questions. On the one hand, because I know the emotional weight that is often attached to these sorts of questions. Uh, But on the other hand, there's a kind of nervousness that comes, not because I know the Bible has so little to say about it, but because the Bible has so much to say about it. And I often don't know which pieces would be relevant to that particular time. The Bible is highly sensitive to this tension, to this issue of theodicy, and it pops up in almost every book in some form or another. And in fact, some whole books, like Job, have it as its central theme. We are continuing on in our study of Matthew 24, uh, the Olivet Discourse, or the End Times Discourse. And while this is a highly debated theological passage about the end times, But we should also notice how this is an intensely practical passage as it touches a central nerve on the question that I just raised. Now, Granted, uh, this is not an exhaustive answer to the question, but it nonetheless provides crucial pieces to the puzzle. We are specifically going to look at Matthew 24, verses 15 to 31. And here, Jesus continues to answer the disciples' question. When will these things be referring to the destruction of the temple, and what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age, in 24.3. The coming of the Messiah was a longed-for hope and expectation. Of course, the Gospels are quick to remind readers that uh, this longed-for coming is only going to be good for some people. Like John the Baptist said, some will be thrown into the fire at the Messiah's coming, but others will be saved. So the coming of the Messiah is good news for the righteous, but it's bad news for the wicked. And yet here in this passage, as Jesus discusses what things will look like as the time draws near for his return, it becomes clear that there is bad news for the righteous as well. One of the crucial pieces of the puzzle that is under consideration regarding the problem of theodicy is the Lord Jesus himself predicts that times will get worse, and and in fact, they will get worse in a religious context. Second, as we will see, he couches this description in Old Testament language, tying it specifically to the prophets and the story of Israel. The resulting implication is that this whole problem is not something new. 
This vicious cycle, even the abomination of holy things, uh, continues right up until the very end. But third, not only does this passage teach that the Lord Jesus knows times of evil will increase, not only does he connect this with the repeated cycle of events in the past, uh, but most importantly, we will hear him pronounce that as dark as these upcoming times will be, their days are numbered and will in fact come to an end. The winter will someday break for spring. So with these three features in mind, uh, let's read our passage, uh, Matthew 24, verses 15 through 31. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show you great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, uh, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Certainly, there's just an incredible amount of material here. Uh, some will be particularly interested to know how all of this works out on an end times timeline, and particularly if the uh, coming described in verse 30 is the rapture or the second event. We won't have time to get into all of these details, and we want to guard, in fact, uh, against reading too much of our theology into uh, the text of Matthew. Uh, this passage just doesn't answer all of our end times questions. With the time that I do have, I'd like for us to consider more closely uh, these three features I described earlier. First, in this passage, Jesus reveals that life will go from bad to worse, and that this will even... Uh, touch a religious context. Christianity is no pie-in-the-sky religion that claims that if one becomes a believer, then all problems will cease and that, and that one is exempt from life's hardships. Now, some representatives of Christianity have proclaimed it that way. Uh, I'm thinking here of the so-called health and wealth gospel. But notice that in what we have read, uh, there is not only hardship coming, uh, but Jesus says that this planet has yet to see the severest 
form of suffering. And again, this is even in a religious context. One of the central features of this discourse is the destruction of Jerusalem. And in fact, the destruction of the temple, so-called holy things, are not safe. For many in American society, when I say the city, uh, that makes you think of a place of danger. Uh, People often uh, say things like, they don't want their car to break down in the city. Now, I think that very often these fears are unfounded, uh, but still they're there. Now, in an ancient context, however, uh, the city would have been seen as a place of safety. People can expect to, to run to the city and hide behind its walls, which will then keep the invading enemy out. Furthermore, in a biblical context, uh, the temple particularly is seen as a place of safety. This is where God dwells, and one can expect that God would be extra concerned to defend his home turf. But Jesus is absolutely adamant. Uh, These expected places of safety inside the temple, inside the city, human defenses will fail. Uh, You can't count on them. Uh, The point of all of this is to underscore the certainty and inevitability of the coming tribulation and hardship. Things certainly will get worse. Jesus knows about it. Second, not only does Jesus reveal that things will go from bad to worse, but but he taps into the Old Testament to describe this coming judgment. In fact, uh, the first verse of our text, Matthew 24, 15, uh, it's there that Jesus refers to the abomination of desolation. The fact that the text has let the reader understand probably indicates that these uh, should not be printed in red letters. He's talking, after all, to a reader, not a hearer. Matthew, following Mark, has inserted them to point the reader back to the prophet Daniel. Daniel refers to this in chapter uh, Daniel chapter 8, 9, and specifically 11.31 and 12.11. The idea of an abomination of desolation, of a holy place, is that there's something so vile and disgusting and evil that happens that it makes the holy place unholy, with the result that it is desolate or, or devastated or uninhabited. There may be a link here to the end of Matthew 23, which we considered earlier. In an earlier episode, um, we saw that Jesus describes the temple as a place where God resided. But because of the sin of the religious leaders, their house would be left to them desolate. Until, that is, they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As with Ezekiel, God would leave his temple. Now, the abomination of desolation in Daniel is one of these things, which we've observed before, that has multiple fulfillments. In a sense, when the Babylonians destroyed the temple in 605 BC, the holy place was robbed of its utensils, of its holy things. But in Daniel's prophecies, uh, this looks forward from his standpoint uh, to Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, in which uh, he famously sacrifices a pig on the altar which in turn led to the Hasmonean Revolt in 167 BC. But clearly, in Jesus' usage here in Matthew 24, uh, this requires a future fulfillment from his standpoint. 
We have already talked in earlier episodes about uh, this concept of multiple fulfillment, and this seems to be the case here. Uh, something connected to the Romans' invasion and destruction of the temple in AD 70 seems to be in view. Whether it is uh, the unfulfilled plan to set up a bust of Caligula in the temple in 40 to 41, whether it's the zealots' misuse of the temple or simply the destruction itself. However, verse 21 says that this will be the worst time in human history. This points to a larger scale fulfillment. Now, Josephus, speaking uh, of the Jewish wars and the destruction of the temple in AD 66-70, says, It appears to me that the misfortunes of all people from the beginning of the world, if they be compared to these of the Jews, are not so considerable as they were. So, in a hyperbolic sense, Jesus' words in verse 21 refer to the destruction of the first century temple. Uh, but more is probably intended in the literal sense. This refers to the events that will happen in the upcoming still future period called the tribulation. All of this uh, pulls from Isaiah 27, which talks about God blowing a trumpet and redeeming and rescuing his people. Uh, Israel will be regathered, but notice that Jesus here is the one so central to all of his work. He is the son of man who sends his angels to gather them. So, do you ever wonder, where is Jesus in a world like this? Well, he's on the throne. All of this is happening as he planned. It's nothing new. But not only is he on the throne, it's like he's on the balls of his feet, leaning forward. He is coming. One day the Son of Man will return. And it won't be a partial answer that satisfies only some people. Everyone will see him. The tribulation will be over. The King will come. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu.